0: Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1 800 Discover to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here, there, but when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it is literally like being in a state of the art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. Sirius XM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, So I'm very honored to have been asked to moderate this discussion um, with the iconic Oprah Winfrey and the brilliant Bruce D. Perry, who is an expert on trauma resilience. And they both have written a book called What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma and Resilience and Healing. Um, This conversation is fascinating And I learned so much from these two people, actionable stuff that I can do in my life to make my life better, that I know you're going to love it. And I know you're going to learn more about it. And I devoured the book, devoured it with a highlighter. So um, I know you're going to enjoy this um, and I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation. So here we go. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me, Roblo. I am so excited that you are um, taking time out of your, your busy day today. Um, we're going to talk today about this amazing book called What Happened to You, written by Dr. Bruce Perry and the fabulous Oprah Winfrey. Um, when I was asked to do this, uh, obviously I had to read the book and I, to conv- I, have to, I felt like maybe this was going to be like doing homework. It's incredible. And I have um, already uh, been banging the pot about this book to a lot of my friends. This this book I think is really a game changer, and 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 I'm going to introduce the amazing authors in a minute. But I just want to tell you how much it's meant to me, and s- some of the concepts I was aware of, but I've never heard it it articulated in such a user friendly, sort of practical way. And I think this could make a difference in in. Anyone's life. So let's also, oh, I need to thank, by the way, our sponsors today, the independent bookstores for hosting this conversation. That's a politics and prose in Washington, D.C. Good on you. And books and books in Miami, Florida. Thank you for helping make this happen. And um, hello, Dr. Bruce. It's great to meet you. And Oprah, I, I, thank you. This is thank you for having me have you guys. This is going to be fun.
1: Oh, great My to be pleasure. with you. Great to be with you, neighbor. I've missed you during the pandemic.
0: I know I, 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 before we came online, I was asking Oprah to come back to the neighborhood. It isn't the same <laughs> about you. It just is not.
1: You can isn't. feel it, right? You can feel it. You can feel um,
0: there's something missing. There's when you're not here, there's something missing. When you can't come knock on my door and ask for sugar or the you're out of milk, <laughs> it's just, it's just not the same.
1: Or an avocado or an, or avocado. an avocado or whatever. An extra there. avocado.
0: Um, there's a lot to unpack here in this book. Um, but it's, it's really funny because uh, I was highlighting things that meant a lot to me in it.
1: What resonated with you? I'm curious as to what you highlighted
0: and what actually struck you. I'm curious well, about that. It, it's funny. And it's exactly what your team then suggested to me. So it, it, there's clearly something to this. And the first thing is just um, Dr. Perry, when you uh, pulled up the, the great quote from Gary Zukov, the spiritual teacher, and his quote is when you find you have an addiction, don't be ashamed. Be joyful. You have found something that you have come to this earth to heal. When you confront and heal an addiction, you are doing the deepest spiritual work that you can do on earth. And I could do an hour show just on that quote. That that spoke to me.
1: Well, I think that most people see that as the big hill that you're pushing up against and the big thing in your life that you have to overcome but it really is a sacred time. Yeah, I had all those multiple conversations with Gary Zukov over the years. He's been a major influence in my life. He's the one that cured me of the disease to please through the principle of intention. And so, you know, we did multiple shows Uh, during the course of the 25 years of of the Oprah show uh, on addiction and his approach to addiction and to addicts was something I'd never heard before. Like it's a, it's, it's a sacred time and that the healing of whatever that wound that caused you to be addicted is the thing that a part of the work that you were meant to do here on earth. So I like approaching it from that because it allows you not to have judgment about it for other people and allows you to see for your own self when you have an addiction that that is the great work of your life. The healing of that becomes the great work of your life. And, and you know what? It
0: also becomes the great work that you pass down if you have children.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: That's at, at the core of, of this book for, for me is really what this is about is, is if un, un, in your phrase, excavated which is such a great phrase, because it really is, you dig to it, you have to find it, oh, there it is, now I've got to dig to it, it's going to be painful, it's going to take a long time, it, it's digging, it's proper digging, it's excavating. Getting down to that trauma, if it's not brought up into the air, into the sunlight, in, in to be dealt with, not only are you going to pay the consequences, but it's transgenerational. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, doctor? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: You know, I, as I'm listening to this, the thing that really strikes me is that the concepts in neuroscience that have to do with how you change the brain always require that you activate in a specific pattern systems in the brain, neural neural networks. And you would literally have to push your neural networks out of their comfort zone, but you have to push them with the right dosing and give them spacing so they can kind of get back to their equilibrium, push them again. And it really is just as you both have been saying, it's work and frequently it's painful work. And, but when you do that, you end up changing these systems in ways that grow functionality. You get stronger, you get smarter, you get more flexible, you get more capable of being empathic. And I think that that's, you know, the wisdom of the words that you were talking about, Uh, really is a a keen observer seeing through many, many, many people's life journeys how they've been able to manage in these little doses of pain and tolerated a lot of distress to ultimately build the strength that becomes their, what Oprah and I refer to as their post-traumatic wisdom. I grew up, and
0: I have a philosophy, and I think it's served me well to an extent of never complain, never explain. So it allows me to not be a victim. It allows me to dust myself off and keep on keeping on and doing all of those things. But on the other side of it is if you're not willing to go, no, actually, that those times I, I was victimized. Um, you know what? I actually did face some adverse. I did have post-traumatic stress. If you're not willing to ad- to admit that it's happened to you,
2: you kind of can't even begin this process, correct? Insight and sort of accurate accurate reflection on your past is really important. Um, It it really helps you understand where you've been and that sort of maps out the trajectory of where you can go. And so I think that it's so important not just to know your history, but it's really, really important to understand the history of the people who are your parents and your grandparents and the people in your culture. And so where did all of this stuff come from? There's an origin to tolerating certain behaviors. There's an origin to acting in a certain way and solving problems in a certain way. You just didn't invent it yourself. You absorbed it and inherited it in some way from the people around you as you were growing up. And when you see those patterns, it's so much easier to recognize where you're falling into those same patterns yourself with your friends or your partners or your children, and then be intentional about taking different steps. And I think Oprah's, again, that's part of what Oprah's been really very good about is bringing intention into her healing process so that these little experiences of healing are tolerable. You know, it's not as if there's no pain involved, but they were dosed and they were scaffolded in relationship with Gail, for example. And but again, I think so much of that was related to insights about her past or she could then go have a conversation and then say, hey, you know, you know what I realized yesterday? And and you may want to talk about that, Oprah, because I think it's such a great example when you.
1: Well, here's here's the bottom line for me. The, the, the greatest piece of wisdom ever shared, I think, Shakespeare, <clears throat> to thine own self be true. And we all know that there is nothing greater than being true to yourself. And one of the common denominators that I learned over the years with people on my show is that everybody, the reason why that show worked for so many years is because I recognized that I was no different than the viewer, except I was in charge of the microphone. And so I always saw myself as a surrogate for the viewer. So I was empowered to ask questions and be who I was and say the things that I said because it wasn't just me, I'm representing the viewer. And so what I know is every single person is actually looking for the same thing, and that is to live out the truest expression of yourself as a human being. How do I become more of me? You can't become more of you unless you know what happened to you to make you who you are in this particular moment. So the excavation, as I talk about in uh, What Happened to You?, is all about peeling back the layers of your life so you can see who you are, where you've come from, why you behave the way you do, why you choose the mates that you do, why you're in relationships that you're in. All of that is based upon what happened to you as a child, because as Dr. Perry says, you um, elicit from the world, you get from the world what you project into the world and what you project into the world is how you were raised, what happened to you. So your worldview starts, as you've seen with your beautiful sons, your worldview starts in the crib. You are deciding, is the world a safe place? Do my parents answer my call when I cry? Am I getting responded to? Am I being nurtured? Do I get what I need? And that makes a decision, you know, in your brain, forms... The way you think about not just the people around you, but the world. So I think what happened to you, the reason why I wanted to even write this book with with Dr. Perry, is because of that moment uh, several years ago. Maybe is it three or two now? Time is just in a warp three. space. Yeah. Three. Okay, so 2018, he and I were doing a story for 60 Minutes. I have interviewed him for 30 years, Rob about one thing or another. We've been talking about zero to six years. And in this particular interview though, something happened that it actually clicked in a way that I got it that I'd never gotten it before because we were talking about um, St. A's, uh, an an institution in Milwaukee that helps young people who are orphaned and behavioral disorders and they take care of the kids that nobody else wants. And Dr. Perry said, Many times people ask the question, what's wrong with these kids? What's wrong with this child? When they should be saying, what happened to that child? And the services built around that. Something clicked for me in a way that it hadn't before because I thought, wow, that's a powerful question for these children, but it's also a powerful question for all of us in life. Wow, when you look at everybody, everything, anybody who's acting out, who's being a jerk, who's, you know, from politics on down, you say, I wonder what happened to that person. It changes the way you see them, the way you approach them. It makes you immediately more empathetic and less judgmental. So that was a life-changing moment for me. And I think for people to ask themselves this question, what what, what happened to that person instead of what is wrong with you, certainly allows you to be more open and... Really begin begin a conversation.
0: Look, I'm very well versed in therapy. I'm in recovery. I've been sober for uh, it'll be it'll be 31 years this week. Um, wow! And yeah, it's 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 that's, that's some years. I'm 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 proud of it, and it's changed my life. And then, by the way, you know the disease is whack a mole. By the way, you get it under control in one one hole, and then the gopher head pops up over here. And I never thought I would be the guy having to worry about my sugar intake, but here we are, 31 years later. It's all about the sugar. <laughs> Um, but if there are listeners who aren't as well versed in the language of therapy or, or the language of ex or, or, or the ability to, to excavate, how would one begin the journey of asking themselves what happened?
1: That's a great question, Rob.
2: That is a great question.
1: And, and I'm going to let the psychiatrist answer that.
2: Well, Come on, docs. It, it's, it's funny that it's important <laughs> they bring that up because we're, we don't tend to be a reflective society. You know we're very, sure. we're very much about the moment and then the next moment and we're not even that very reflective of, you know about the, the, the far future it's sort of like the near future yep quarteritis if you're in corporations and you guys in hollywood know more about you know what's happened next week next month and i think rob honestly this is one of the things that we hope happens with this book is that people start having more conversations themselves about this issue. Um, but I would recommend, for example, that whenever you can slow down a little bit and start to think, you know, if you have the luxury of time, I mean, not everybody has the privilege of reflection because it is a privilege to be safe enough and secure enough and have time or you can yeah. think about your own past. Right. And so this is one of the issues where we talk about this, that the, the issues around inequity are tied in with the luxury of reflection that it's so, but when someone does have that opportunity, you start by thinking about your own history and, and your own parents' history and how are they raised? And maybe that's the way they raised me. And is what, why would they do that? And it basically, if you maintain this sort of curious, uh, historian's perspective about how I got to the present. You know, how did I get here? You're going to start to see these little strands through your life and through your parents' life and through the lives of the people in your society and culture where you realize, wow, maybe I should reevaluate that as a core value. Do I really think that that's the right thing to do? But Rob, I think that's, you know, you've hit on, I think, one of the major issues in our society Our society is filled with very bright, kind people, but even those folks tend to be so overwhelmed and and so frenetically busy that they shut down the smartest part of their cortex, and they're kind of automatically going through the inertia of life every day, every day, every day, every day. And three years later, they look up and they go, wow. Wow. I'm not living my life the way I wanted to. Yeah, and I, have, and I haven't learned anything.
1: That is such a powerful question, you know. Um you were saying that you're well versed in therapy. I never I've, I've never had therapy. I've never been to a therapist. That's so amazing to me. I, that blows my mind with
0: your curiosity and all that's well you you probably had your own therapy on the show. I
1: had all my therapy in front of the world and that's right. um my my dosing, my you know, when I finished doing that interview with Dr. Perry for 60 Minutes, I actually said, maybe I said during the interview. So tell me why I'm not crazy. And he said, well, uh, you had other, you thi- you 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 didn't have, you didn't come from from a family where you felt love, but you got it outside of your family. So, you know, connection really bridges a lot of inadequacies that we have in our early early years. And so for me, it was teachers, it was the church. For I, I realized in the writing of this book, oh, I never had therapy. I was doing all of those conversations in front of people on television. But where was my real therapy? Every night, after every show, every day, Gail King watched every single Oprah Winfrey show. And every single day, I would have a conversation with her after the show And it was really kind of my dosing, releasing, letting go of what had happened that day, hearing what happened to her in that day, in her day. And it was my way of processing all this stuff that was coming at me. And so I realized that as Gail has been for me, as I was for Gail, as teachers were for me, as growing up in the church was for me, we can be that for other people. So the willingness to share your story, to tell your story, to ask other people what happened to them opens up the aperture for that question to also be answered by yourself. And so um, it's possible to do it without therapy because I have done it. But I am also naturally a reflective person, you know, being raised the way I was raised in rural Mississippi, only my grandmother and myself. So I had a lot of time to think about myself and things and life and all that.
2: So I'm a naturally reflective person. So Rob, it's interesting for me that, I mean, you will probably connect with this really well because you have been in therapy. But the recognition that most therapeutic experiences take place outside of conventional therapy, the therapeutic moments with the people you love, your friends, a family member, where they're fully present and, and there's a connection and there's a little bit of growth. Now, the therapy can kind of guide that process and bring some clarity to some of that. But ultimately, even with therapy, without a therapeutic environment, without this relational environment, you're not going to make much progress.
1: The real work happens outside of the therapy. So you go to the therapist, you talk about your issues, whatever that is, but the actual application and execution of what you're you're, you're learning in therapy gets processed outside of therapy.
0: And let's take a quick break. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day? Or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day. Or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment. There's only one answer. California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. Look, I love California. Um, And I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy. Thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your pup. They deserve to be spoiled every month. At Bark, we send your dog a whole collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's our fun plush toys or our ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, we will double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com Rob. BarkBox is so convenient and delivers straight to your door and more importantly, right to your dog. I can't wait to try out BarkBox. My dogs need their toys, particularly the chewable toys. Sign up now at BarkBox.com slash Rob for an exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's get back to petting our dogs. As an actor, I like to say I take direction for a living. Uh, I would like some direction, doctor, because I, I want to... Uh, I, I want to follow this. Um, and let me just read this. For th- This is directly from the book. For thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, not just thousands of years, thousands, thousands of years, humans lived in small intergenerational groups. There were no mental health clinics, but there was plenty of trauma. I can assume that many of our ancestors experienced post-traumatic problems, anxiety, depression, sleep disruptions, but I also assume they experienced healing. Our species could not have survived if a majority of our traumatized ancestors lost their capacity to function well. The pillars of traditional healing were and are one, connection to a clan and the natural world, two, regulating rhythm through dance, drumming, and song, three, a set of beliefs and values and stories that brought meaning to the senseless seeming random trauma. And on occasion, natural hallucinogens or plant-derived substances facilitating healing with the guidance of a healer. I'm fascinated with that. How did you come up with those four core sets of where healing goes on outside of a therapeutic situation?
2: Well it's been a journey and it started a long time ago when I was exposed to and spent some time with some uh, Lakota healers. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious about some of their ceremony and some of their ritual. And I, I didn't really understand what they were telling me actually. And I, but I cataloged what, what the elements of the experience were. You know, there was storytelling and there was dancing and there's community eating and they would have what you and I might think of as a, a sort of a powwow where there's nonstop community partying. And and then I spent time with uh, people who were Maori and people who were Aboriginal and people who were Cree and people who were Blackfoot, people who are from West African uh, tribes. Every one of them had these core elements. And now at the same time that that was kind of going on, and I'm sort of being a a semi-pro anthropologist, I'm studying the brain and looking at how the stress response systems work in the human brain and recognizing that the lowest part of the brain, the stress response systems are influenced and can be regulated by pattern repetitive rhythmic activity like song, music, dance, and then you move higher in the brain, and I realize that, well, you know, the middle part of the brain that's influenced by these systems will be profoundly influenced by connection, by relational interactions. And then the top part, the third part of the brain, which is, again, influenced by uh, the stress response system and can be altered by trauma, that that part of the brain changes when there's meaning, when there's a story, when there's a narrative, when there's a, a set of values and, that can create hope. And and so when you weave all of those together, you have this incredible biologically respectful catalog of activities that would very predictably influence an altered stress response system and make it much more regulated and functional. And, and now when you look at modern psychiatry, there are these little elements that people are doing, you know, talk therapy and some people do cognitive things and some people do relationally based. There are people that are now beginning to do somatosensory, and and I think that when you weave these together, um, you're going to be much have much more effective outcome. What I like about it
0: too is is this is stuff that is isn't – like you say it isn't traditional therapy. You can do all of these things without paying a nickel to anybody or having to find somebody you you trust. It's it's practical because, Oprah, as you're talking about yourself as an avatar for your audience, I, I've really been thinking, again, I know I said it, about how for, like I'm so well-versed in it, but I want to talk to the people who aren't well-versed in it, who may be coming to this, who need it the most.
1: Well, it's also let, – let, let's go back to the book. Yeah. I think it's Bozeman in the book who has, is suffering from PTSD and Dr. Perry has a conversation with him about – how many nights he can't sleep and has all these other relational problems, except on, he finds on a particular night he does sleep really well and things go really well for him. And that's the night he went dancing. Same thing happened. We were on our campus in South Africa and Bruce was walking around with me on the campus and we ran across a group of girls because God knows they love to dance and they love to sing. <laughs> and Bruce was like, wow, there's a lot of healing going on there. I go, well, well, no, there's not healing. They're just dancing. He goes, oh, no, that rhythmic pattern of movement actually is helping them heal heal their brain. So I think it's also, may I just say, as simple as you're in an argument with your spouse or anyone, and you can't seem to get through to them, and the argument is escalating, 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 and literally you say, you, you're not hearing me. I've heard lots of people in conversation like, you're not hearing me. The truth is, based upon that diagram we just saw, which is on page 26 of the book, they're not hearing you because the flight or fright, flight mode, the anxiety mode, the upset and fear mode is all operating from that brain stem. You're not getting through the cortex. And so the way to get through is for somebody to, to regulate or calm themselves. The best way to do that is to go do something rhythmic like going for a walk. Heel, toe, arms moving, heel, toe, arms moving. That changes. That's why you feel better when you go for a walk. That is, that's just not, oh, I feel better. That is scientific proof that that whole mechanism of, of rhythm and movement works. Take a break. Go for a walk. Take a break. Go listen to some music. Do a little movement. Take a break. Calm yourself. Regulate. Then go back and try to have the discussion so you can reach the reach the reasoning part of the brain, which is the cortex.
0: And, and the reason we get hijacked, and it can happen to us at any given time, a lot of it is uh, I'm, I'm just making sure I understand it correctly. Is booby traps that have been been laid in our in our early traumas
2: in our life. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, so you get Leo it, Rob. Rob the, 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 that's that's exactly right. And the, just so cut, the, get it.
1: He, Gold star to you, Rob. Thank Gold start.
2: <laughs> here's here's the dilemma of human communication: is that all of the smart things that we have, you know, when we formulate an idea and we think about something we'd like to communicate, we're using the very top of our brain, the cortex, that most human part of our brain. But the dilemma is, we have to get that out of our cortex and into another person's cortex. And human beings don't communicate cortex to cortex. That would be telepathic. We have to communicate. And again, this is one of the things we didn't really mention. But every single thing you hear, see, taste, smell, when somebody talks to you, when you're looking at them, all that information comes into your brain in the lowest part of your brain first. So the dumbest part of your brain, the part of your brain that can't tell time, the most reactive gets first dibs on interpreting the current moment amazing and if and and that's that's where a lot of us get into trouble because we have these little as you said little landmines about our past experiences that the last time somebody looked like you talked to me that way there was a big fight so i'm going to actually act before i get hurt and in reality when you if you had the opportunity to fully process the experience you'd recognize that this moment really is not at all like that la- that moment when you were 8 years old. With
0: practice and success in in thinking like this and being aware of this, does the information more easily get to the top part of your brain?
2: Well, it can. It, it but you need to practice. It's yes. uh, part of what part of what is helpful is you might say, "Listen, tomorrow I have a meeting and these people are going to be there." And historically, I've had trouble with authority figures, particularly arrogant guys that wear suits and act like they know everything. So what I need to do is before I go into that meeting, I need to do something regulating. So I keep access to the smart part of my brain. And and so if you know what your landmines are by reflecting on what happened to you, Mm. you'll be able to anticipate places where you can sort of. Uh, avoid conflict or to the degree that you can manage it. So, again, it kind of goes back to the key issue, as you brought up earlier, Rob, that, you know, how do you actually get to the point where you think about the things that, that have influenced who you are currently? But if well, you can do it, that, it it can make a huge difference.
1: Well, but you can do it because we're not doing it, you know, after Bruce said that three years ago, I went back to the board in my school and I said, we're doing something really wrong here. Because uh, at one point we had uh, five girls in the hospital at the same time suffering from depression, anxiety disorders, suicidal ideation, all kinds of things um, as they were preparing to go into college. And I realized that what, the way we were teaching, the way kids were learning in our school, we hadn't asked or weren't, were not operating from that basic tenet of what happened to them. So much so now we've brought Bruce's teachings, the neurosequential model, into our school. Girls know how to regulate themselves. They use that language. So, so much so that one girl said to me the other, the last time I was there, um, "Mamo, what do I do to regulate myself when somebody else is trying to re- regulate themselves and it's dysregulating me? So, <laughs> What a genius. Yes. That's, I'm trying that's to regulate. the
2: neurosequential model. 202.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. You said the girl kept clicking her pen and that she recognized it as she's clicking that pen back and forth. She's stopping that pen, trying to regulate herself, but her clicking of the pen is dysregulating me. So, how do I regulate myself with her dysregulation? <laughs> so, we are now speaking the same language at our school and now approaching what was at first everybody was like these, what is wrong with these girls? They're brilliant girls. So intelligent. You know, I brought 20 girls from South Africa to the United States. They're all in schools from Wellesley to Brown to Stanford. So they're really, really, really intelligent girls who had come from so much trauma that they averaged, uh, on average, any girl comes to our school. is like six aces, uh, in the adverse childhood experiences. And so being able to understand that kids coming from traumatic backgrounds, Rob, are really good at disassociation because being able to disassociate when you're in a, in a chaotic, uncertain, traumatic environment saves your life, protects you. And so when you get into school and anything that is uncomfortable or feels unsafe, meaning, you know, you're math you're lesson, you're gone, you're gone. gone, you're gone. And so having teachers understand that that's what it is, it's not a kid being lazy, it's not a kid who's just daydreaming, it's not a kid who's just trying to, you know, n- not, not obey the rules, but it's a kid who, that's what they do when things become uncomfortable. And so being able to teach from that aspect and not stand there and lecture for 40 minutes, but but do dosings of teachings. You do 10 minutes, kids take a break, do something that's regulating, have some movement, come back to the lesson, uh, has made a world of difference in the school and a world of difference in how the girls experience the school.
0: So I, I found in my life that I had this issue with, if I felt like something might be wrong and I went to, I would never ask the question directly. So whether it was with my wife or my kids or in the workplace, uh, it was talking to my financial guy about how much money I had or didn't have, whatever it was, if I ever had an inkling or a sense that there might be an answer I didn't want to hear, I wouldn't ask the question at all. And so what I would do is I would stick my head in the sand, I would disassociate and let events and let events take care of themselves, which, as we know, is no way to live. And then it occurred to me as I was writing my first book where this came from, what happened to me. And what happened to me was I was four years old, and I, it had been bothering me that my dad had not been around. And I, I'll never forget it. I was in a lumber store with my mother, and I said to her, are you getting a divorce? And she said, yes. Yes. It blew my fucking mind, and I—I I, I mean, I—I I can still feel it in my. It was bad, and 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 so what I learned then was: don't ask a question you're unwilling to hear an answer to. Don't do it.
1: Wow, that is profound. That is it. Wow. It's. It, I will do
0: anything still to avoid it. I know I'm doing it. I know why I'm doing it. <laughs> I know that it has nothing to do. Uh, they're not going to say we're getting divorced. <laughs> when <laughs> when I talk to the president of the network and I say, "How's nine one one Lone Star doing? Are we getting picked <laughs> up next year?" He's not going to say you're getting divorced. I know that. I still don't want to have that conversation with the network president because it might not be good news. And we'll be right back after this. Transform your bathroom cleaning with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner. You just spray today. And rinse tomorrow for a no-scrub clean. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, this is your once-a-week solution to keeping your tub and shower surfaces sparkling clean. Available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. Join thousands who've switched to an easier clean. Get your wet and forget weekly shower cleaner today and make your bathroom sparkle with zero scrubbing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally Long Enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash roblo today to get 10% off your first month that's better help HLP dot com slash Roblo.
2: Um, dissociation involves this set of stages and the first stage before you kind of completely shut down is avoidance. And then the second stage after avoid, if you can't avoid it, you act compliant, like, oh, Mm -hmm. oh, great. No problem. And, Mm -hmm. and, and you try to please basically the people who you're trying to interact with.
1: So what you just, just described is exactly what happened to me as a little girl, it was you asking your mother in the lumber store. It was me getting a whipping all the time from my grandmother for the slightest infraction. And what that taught me is to keep my mouth shut, to that my opinion didn't matter. That uh, not only would I get a whipping, but after the whipping, a lot of people listening who grew up in the black culture understand this: you get a whipping. And then your grandmother walk around 10 minutes later and say, you better wipe that frown off your face. You better put your you better not be pouting. And I've gotten a whipping for not smiling soon enough after the whipping. Oh, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that teach you? That teach you teaches you that even when you're hurting, you keep smiling and. I've been in the middle of a whipping where my grandmother is like literally lashing me and saying, you better stop that crying. But you're, you're beating me. So anyway, what that taught me is exactly what you're talking about, even to this day, that when I have to confront someone that I might possibly I'm going to get a no from or they're going to have a response that is not um, favorable I would used to get so much anxiety, like so much anxiety. I didn't even know to call it anxiety. It was just fear. And I remember once, I was almost 50 years old, somebody had done something really terrible in my business and they had to be let go. And I was the one to do it. It wasn't something I could give to somebody else to do. And I went into my closet in my office and Literally, just I'm praying. God, give me strength. Give me strength. Oh, ancestors, give me strength. And I asked the question out loud: Why is this so hard? Why am I so? Why is? Why am I so afraid to do this when I'm the one with the power? It's my company. It's my business. It's. And the answer came back: You're afraid of getting a whipping. I'm afraid. Still afraid of getting a whipping. I'm afraid of that rejection. I'm afraid that. Somebody is going to say, you know, go to the corner and take, wipe that frown off your face. And that fear carried me for so long in my life. Exactly what you just described about the lumber and store. This is what I, what I was coming back to. And that
0: is not a sign of – because there was a time in my life where I thought, well, that's just a sign of weakness on my part. That, 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 that I still let that bother me after all these years. But what I've learned from, from you, doctor, in, in the book is, no, 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 that's actually in the brain.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are synaptic connections in your brain that were created from that experience that continue to shape the way you experience the present moment. Now, you're you're in the process of trying to build new synaptic defaults, and and that but that takes repetition 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 so you're gonna have to kind of approach that kind of a question get yourself ready to do it regulated it, go ask the question deal with the answer uh and realize wow it's not as bad as the divorce answer let's say that that triggered for someone
0: they wanted to go and smoke a pack of cigarettes whenever they felt that way or they wanted to eat sugar or they wanted to act out sexually or they wanted to go gambling or w- wanted to, whatever it is. And you get some progress. You're work, you're, you're working on it. You're cognizant. You've excavated, you're doing the work and you're getting results. And yet every once in a while, you go, you know what? I don't really want to do it. And I've had, so- and I've been so good, but you know what? Today, I think I'm going to act out. You know what? I'm going to have that cigarette. I don't even want it, but you know what? I've got I got to control. What is that about us? Why don't we just keep doing what we're doing?
2: Well, I I can speculate about that, but you know, one of the things I think most people know. On one hand, most people know this, but very few people understand why. Everybody knows that under certain circumstances they're able to have an interaction with somebody and be polite and act their age and tolerate and you know somebody being rude to you without being rude back and then if you have the exact same experience a different time you tell them to go fuck off Mm -hmm. and which you know wasn't really the right thing to do i shouldn't have done it you know it's going to impair me my situation at work that's what we call state dependent functioning when you're in a state where you feel very regulated you're not hungry, you're not thirsty, you're not cold, you've had lots of sleep, you're not sick, you're not run down, you don't have a lot of pressure on you. You can use that most mature part of your brain and and basically contain the lower sort of those little landmine areas. Yep. But the more sort of tired out you get or a little bit of stress or a little bit of this, a little ah. bit of that, then you start getting this other voice that's saying... That's Come on, sad. take the old road. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> hey, take that old
0: road. <laughs> that fits so well. Thank you. That totally fits. Because for me, it's like when I'm drained, when I'm drained, that, that little voice comes out and is like, you should pound all of that Haagen-Dazs immediately. <laughs>
2: yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, you just You can work it off. You can work it off. You can work Which it also yeah.
0: which would also explain why I was just having this conversation with somebody today at, at breakfast. Why on some, some day in willpower can be about anything. It can be financial willpower, it can be and it doesn't have to be food or anything. It can be in any area of your life. But why is it on some days you have willpower in spades and then other days you have none? What's different? And what's different is is your level of exhaustion, your le- it's where you are in that
2: chart exactly exactly and one of them they do studies that show for example around many things but let's take dieting you wake up in the morning and you're not and you've rested and you you've got this what we call executive functioning it's it's you're ready to go but by the end of the day by four, five, six, seven, eight, you know you your executive functioning deteriorates and this is why most people cheat on their diets Later in the day and at night, you know, and you're like,
1: uh. So, if as everybody bed, starts <laughs> out fresh, everybody yes. starts out fresh and in alignment and ready to go. And then, as the day wears on you, the exactly. phone calls, exactly. the stresses, the com- compound yeah.
2: you decisions literally become
1: you just go yeah. worn out. That's right.
0: You got to give me a hack, as the kids today would say. Um, when, when I'm
2: feeling that way is there anything i can do yeah i mean one of the best things is to do is move your body just get up and and say teach your, train yourself and you can do this because you know how to dissociate i mean you know one of the things that I'm i good at a that. lot of people i know that are good at dissociation <laughs> i teach them self hypnosis so that they learn how to harness that dissociative capability and rather having it sort of pop into them and and I, i'm dissociating other things make me dissociate. You go, I'm going to dissociate on purpose and control this. And so if you learn, you know, you know, forms of self, you know, meditative prayer, mm-hmm. uh, self-hypnosis, induction techniques, you know, the, the indigenous communities have used all kinds of uh, practices to get to the trance state. But if you control when you get to that state, you can then uh, manage this stuff a lot better. Wow, but one of the easiest things is if you if before you learn that is to move. Just get up and move. Walk for two minutes, and then and then go through the same decision making process. Okay, I got it.
0: Before this is over, because we're coming sort of to the to the end of our time, I need to ask you about SSRIs. There are people that say it should be in the water, like like if we put fluoride in the water for our damn teeth, we should put this in for our damn brains. Um, what where where do you stand on on all of that?
2: Here's being a neuroscientist. One of the things that I learned, even before I went to become a physician, was that the human brain and the animal, even the rat brain, is complex. The brain's complex. There are individuals who have serotonergic dysregulation where medications can really help them with depression or anxiety. And then I also learned that people can have the exact same. Kinds of symptoms look just like, you know, they can also be depressed, but that won't help them at all. And so it's all in my. We try to step away from the one size fits all fantasy that a lot of people try to use in in any kind of medicine. Yeah, um, there will be people who an SSRI will really be life saving. And then there will be people where it doesn't make much difference. How do you know? How and how do you know what
0: side of the coin you're on? Trial and error is it a diagnostic? Part of it
2: is is to uh, get somebody who knows a little bit about uh, finding out what happened to you. Somebody who really takes a developmental perspective on on how you're functioning. And if along the way there appears to be uh, a a catalog of things that may be helpful, they start putting them in place. And if those aren't making the progress that you see, then maybe a medication can be helpful. And then you kind of do, honestly, it's a little bit of an individual trial and error process.
0: And for those of you who who don't have, don't know what the SSRIs are. They're, they're Zoloft and, 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 and Prozac and all of the, the drugs that are out there um, for anxiety, for depression. Like I said, I've been in recovery for 31 years and, and nobody ever recommended that I be on anything like that. And then somebody did who I trusted. And so I tried it and it for me, it changed my life. And you probably know people who have tried it and it didn't have the same impact. and with, with ostensibly the same issue. Mine was just that on any given day, I was capable of waking up and thinking, oh, this is it. This is, today's the day it all ends. And it's so ridiculous. It's like, nothing has changed. Not literally nothing has changed from when I went to bed, not one thing. And I wake up and like, oh boy, today's going to be rough. This is going to be, this is the, the, the light that I see at the end of the tunnel. It's a train.
1: It's a train and it's going to run you over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then and then the, this was. Trim, I've never had that ever since I started. Uh, you know, with with the right with the right SSRI. So some people it can be the answer. Other people's no.
2: Absolutely, but, and, that, and Rob, I've heard that from a number of folks as well. That just it's it's life saving. And then I've also heard from other folks. I've tried it, and I've tried this, and I've tried that, and nothing really seems to work.
1: Does the way the SSRI affect you? depend upon what happened to you or whatever is going on in your brain? Why is it it affects some brains and not others?
2: You know, th- that is a great question. And in fact, that's an area of active investigation in, in our field. In animal studies, you can, you can manipulate the early life experiences of an animal. That's, in fact, some of the research that I did, bef- you know, early in my career. You would stress animals early in life and basically give them bad experiences, and then as they grew up, they would become less functional, less capable. But then SSRIs would help them become more normal in their behavior and functioning. And so it does appear that that, at least to some degree, that may be a factor. But it also may be a genetics, you know, there are, there are sort of family histories where like all kinds of people as far back as you can look. Have struggled with depression, and um, we—it's an area that we—we we probably know one one thousand of what we're going to know about the brain, and um, it's a—it's an area of active investigation.
1: That's why, again, what happened to you is so important because I have seen from multiple interviews over the years where there was a history of depression or anxiety or other disorders in a family but nobody ever asked. And that's I, that's I think that's why it's so important where you say, Bruce, about knowing your your tribe, knowing your people, knowing what happened to you, and also knowing what happened to your people.
2: Exactly. A young depressed parent, they're going to parent differently than someone who's not depressed. And so then there's this compounding of the of the potential, if it's, let's say it's genetic, but then it gets compounded by challenges with early life bonding and, and attachment and, and all kinds of other stuff. So,
1: And also well, all the things that you say in the book about the timing is also important because when Rob was sharing true. being in the lumber store at four years old, I was thinking if he was eight years old or 10 right. years old, right. that would not have had the same impact on the synapse of, of the brain as four exactly. years old did. It would have been exactly. a very different experience. Might have still been shocking to you or you know, disturbing to you, but it wouldn't have gone into the brainstem the way that it did at four. And, and you know, the, again, what I, one of the things
0: I love about the book are those sort of charts. And that sort of actual science around that, because I sort of have been aware of it, but to see it actually laid out in a way that's not overly complicated and that people can relate to, I think was really important as one of my favorite things about the book.
1: And this this raises the point of so many times I've interviewed uh, women engaged in domestic violence situations who were always saying, I'm going to leave when the kids get older. When in fact, the most damage is done when the kids are younger. I thank you for bringing that up, Oprah. That's an
0: amazing part of the book. Say it again because it's so important. I want you to say it again.
1: I want to say it again too, Rob, because mothers and fathers who think that arguing and fighting in front of their kids when they're younger The kids will get over it. The kids will be resilient or even when the kids don't have the language. So you can say whatever you want to say. The kids are responding to the vibration in the house, the energy in the house. The same thing that allows your child to learn how to say mama and daddy and take in all of the information that allows them to develop their 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 language and social skills. That same thing is taking in the energy, the negativity, the chaos, the disruption, and you're doing far more damage the younger they are. As early as zero to two months is what Bruce says in the book. The most damage is done then. And then those zero to six years. That's why four years old in the lumber store is a very different experience than eight years old in the lumber store for you.
0: I, I could go on for hours. I, I I think what you guys have done with this book is spectacular, and it's it's uh, you know I, I again I'm going to keep um, pounding the drum on it. Um, I this also a great conversation.
1: Gold was star it? to you. Yeah. Oh, wait, well, you know, gold star <laughs> to you.
0: Pleasure to have yes. in class. That was always me. That was he's the nerd, the nerd in the front row with his hand up. That was me. <laughs> um, so we need to also do a little bookkeeping here. No pun intended. We got to thank um, the uh, the uh, politics and Pros bookstore in Washington D.C. It's all because of you and Books and Books in Miami. Um, so thank you, uh, Doctor Doctor Bruce. You were you were great, and and Oprah. You know I love you. I can't wait for you to get back in the neighborhood and. We'll, we'll cook up some more fun like this because whenever you and I put our heads together, we come up with fun stuff. So I love this.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about what happened to you. Thank you, Thanks everybody. Enjoy, enjoy
0: your day. Sunday. And here it is again. Hey! What happened to you? Yeah. Got a lot of Sunday left over here. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced and engineered by Devin Tory Bryant and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The show is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn, and music is by Devin Tory Bryant. This has been a Team Coco production
2: Find out more at tmobile.com/slash network today.
0: Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.